Hello, listeners. Connor here. Uh, we have a really special little bonus episode for you today at the B-Side. Usually, we are a podcast for the film stage about movie stars and filmmakers and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they made in between. But today, uh, Dan and I got to sit down with the wonderful experimental documentary filmmaker, Bill Morrison, who some of you might know. Uh, made the excellent film Dawson City Frozen Time, which is a great uh, a great doc that we at the film stage love uh, very dearly. He was kind enough to join us today to talk about a new short film of his that is premiering at the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival on May 7th uh, called Let Me Come In. And it is a short that repurposes footage from the lost 1928 silent film Pawns of Passion with a really, really kind of entrancing touch put on it by Morrison and aided by uh, the music from composer David Lang, uh, which is performed by soprano Angel Blue. Um, it's a really great little piece. Uh, we encourage you to seek it out and check it out on TCM if you can. We dive into some fun stuff here in terms of uh, the review, initial reviews that uh, Pawns of Passion got when it came out, which were less than kind. Uh, and we talk to Bill a little bit about just the the craft of repurposing film and, and kind of how he decides to uh, let it be what it is in, in terms of what it's uh, aged into over the years. Um, it's some really fun stuff. It's a brief little conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, and uh, here you go. Here is our conversation with Bill Morrison. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are here with Bill Morrison talking about uh, his career, but also about Let Me Come In, which is his new film, uh, which comes from the 1928 film Pawns of Passion. Bill, how are you doing today? Good. How, good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you. So this we both watched this Um it's it's right up there with with kind of uh, your aesthetic, as it were, with with kind of making new art out of old art and, and all of these things. Obviously, those who don't know, Dawson City Frozen Time is a movie that got a lot of attention that we loved at the film stage, which I is I think the movie I recommend the most to people. Like if people are just like, what's like a what's like a movie I don't know about? You know, like if I'm <laughs> like, well, let me tell you about this uh, movie, Dawson City. Anyway, so so let me come in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Just because this is the new one. Yeah. So uh, let me come in is a um, first of all, the project came to me from David Lang, um, who had been commissioned by LA opera to, uh, write a new short piece for their digital short series that, um, would be accompanied by a film. Um, and so he asked me to join him in that journey. And, uh, what he did is he took a passage from, uh, song of songs, um, and, uh, found different translations and then alphabetize them and cut out the repetition. So what you're actually seeing is just one verse from the Song of Songs um, you know, repeated um, in, in different translations, and it becomes quite meditative and, um, and passionate. And uh, I really like the project. He, he um, you know, sent me a draft, and then I heard Angel Blue sing, and I was like, wow, this would be great with this old footage of Pawns of Passion. Um, so part of my process is I'll often go down to the Library of Congress um, when they tell me that they've accrued some footage that they're going to throw out, but um, 
and there's sort of a, a last ditch purgatory effort to save a few of the titles and, and that um, falls to me. Uh, the nitrate vault manager, George Williman, will sometimes say, you know, there's some stuff here I'm going to throw out and uh, nobody's interested in, but you might be. So that always uh, whets my appetite. And um, usually uh, in pre-pandemic times, I would take a trip down to Culpeper, Virginia, where the uh, nitrate vaults of the Library of Congress are um, once, maybe twice a year and see what had stored on their uh, shelves for me in purgatory. And um, quite a few years ago, I think 2012 or 2013, um, this print of Pawns of Passion um, uh, came across my transom. And I uh, had it scanned by my friends at Color Lab back then. And it had sat on a drive for the most part. I think I used a clip here and there uh, for different projects. But um, I really started to think about this whole progression of um, the the woman being brought in and brought up the stairs and into the bedroom and being nursed back to health um, and how that could work with this song. So uh, I was really inspired by both David's words and music and also Angel Blue's um, interpretation of it. So um, that that's what gave me the idea to use this piece. Yeah, and it's it's it comes together really beautifully, and that's kind of interesting. Where the so the music basically came first, which is not always the case with these projects, right? A lot of times, generally, music will kind of come either as the thing is coming together or afterwards. So that's kind of an interesting. You were almost finding the right images for the the song in a sense, right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for most directors, they'll work the opposite direction. You know, right. they'll uh, have a, a cut and then work with a composer, usually at the very end of a project um, when they're running out of time and money. And uh, we'll have, <laughs> you know, a, a bunch of cues that they need fulfilled. Um, and I have worked that way at Dawson City, um, you know, with, with Alex Summers. Um, I had basically a silent cut and uh, or a cut with um, some temp track and he came in and and scored it um and uh actually the last film i just finished um that premiered last week at the moscow film festival uh the village detective a song cycle uh, david lang also scored that and we worked oh. in the traditional way where i had a a silent uh cut and also um you know some temp track and i described to him what i wanted um and so uh but for the most part, um, for the bulk of my career, I've been working with composers where um, the music does come first. And I'm in a sense, image tracking, like I was doing in, in, the, in this case. So, um, you know, which isn't to always say that the music um, is, uh, it's, it's almost always written before the film is finished editing, but usually we'll get the in assignment or a commission or um, the agreement to start a project together at the same time. And then, we're spitballing about what this piece could be. So um, it isn't always that the music drives the film um, conceptually. It's usually the other way around that the, the film idea will drive the music. Um, but as it happens, uh, the music is usually finished and recorded um, before the film is finished. Um, it's funny. I, I was just doing a little bit of research um, just on Pawns of Passion, which obviously is lost in some, in a, you know, like we're talking about. But I did find on the New York Times archive, there's a review of the U.S. release 
of the movie from 1929 and it's yeah. kind of a they kind of crush it it's like a really pretty <laughs> negative review and it was just fascinating i like you know on the critical side of things i love you know obviously it's part of what we do I loved going back and finding I'll link to it in the show notes for this for this podcast. It's just fascinating where it's like basically the context of the review is like, eh, we've seen this before, whatever. And it's like a very <laughs> funny thing <laughs> to then now, you know, literally almost a hundred years later, it's this new kind of thing, which is very much like we said in your style, with this just kind of it's just very engaging element that it's not my detractors can say well we've seen this before yeah that's exactly right yeah that's so funny um but so so yeah i mean you know with this podcast we try to grab context from a career maybe some lesser known work and and stuff like that so i think you know is there you've you've dug into so many you know so many older films obviously as part of your own process is there any directors or actors in the past as you're kind of grabbing things to make your own very impressive work that you go like, I wish this person had more of a following. I say like we did a Marion Davies episode for this podcast. And that was one where like, we were like watching stuff like the red mill and, you know, maybe, you know, just like things that aren't widely known. And we were just saying, we were like, wow, she was great. And like, she was so funny. And she kind of got, Screwed by the Citizen Kane thing and all these other elements, obviously. And she's got a little bit of a reappraisal. Is there anybody like that when you go back? Are you like, wow, this person never got the credit they deserved or anything? Well, uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, um, probably, you know, there's so there's so few there's so little bandwidth for um, older films. Right. So it's hard to say. who should get credit and who shouldn't, um, you know, uh, certainly, um, the cream has risen, you know, um, I, there, um, the, um, you know, Dawson city was somewhat of a, uh, a discovery for me just to see, um, you know, works by Lois Weber and, uh, Todd Browning that were, were lesser known, but these are well-known directors. And right. y- you see that, the better directors make the better work, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so there, the, the, um, it isn't too often in my opinion where I find, wow, that was, that's really stunning. Um, you know, why didn't we see more of that person? I think those, um, you know, there are people, enough people out there looking at this stuff that, um, the proper allocates are, are, um, allocated. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the, um, working on this Russian film, however, you know, that that was a lot of stuff that I wasn't familiar with, you know, cause I was going back into, um, silent Russian directors and, um, that was just a, a trove of, um, uh, of basically un for me, unseen films and, um, directors whose names I hadn't heard of and I still can't pronounce. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I could, um, uh, you know, we could do an insert or something and I could read you some of those credits, but they're not <laughs> off the, ready off the top of my head. You know? No, no, I hear you. I mean, Connor, I don't want to hog all the time here. Is there anything that had jumped out on you watching Let Me Come In or anything like that? I think it's, like Dan said, sort of the overall aesthetic you've established across some of your work. It's fascinating to me what that does to how you I, at least with let me come in how you're reading the narrative because i'm reading like the damage and the destruction as part of the 
the narrative just by default. And I was just curious how much when you're working with this footage after you scan it, do you decide I'm going to touch this up? I'm going to touch that up. Or how much do you just let it live and be the thing? Uh, that oh, I, I I totally let it live. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't touch anything up. I slow it down, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm I'm. It's sort of um, part of what I find fascinating about it. It's just what's happened to it, and yeah. um, I sort of buy into that as a um, as a as a thesis. You know that this this is um, how modern this footage is. Is the de- the degree to which it's naturally decayed before I found it, you know, that's what's made it contemporary footage. Yeah. Yeah. It it brings Connor. Doesn't it bring you back to like the Hollis Frampton, Paul share. It's like, you know, you watch the thing and you make the narrative from from, kind of the abstract context of what it is you're actually seeing and watching it on. And the fact that you let it live. I mean, you see these, uh, you know, obviously this is a podcast, so listener, imagine if you will, but you see these moments where like their faces will morph together in this like swirl that, you know, if I didn't know what you had just said, I might have been like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe they like did that in post, right? To kind of marry yeah. some sort of thing together. But the fact that you just kind of let it be what it is, uh, I think, especially in the context that Dan, you just provided in terms of the negative reviews, the idea that like this is a movie that existed got slammed, got trashed, literally, and then is resurrected uh, in all of its sort of failure as this kind of beautiful piece of art. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing to look at, and it's a really, really, yeah, really great little work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I just, um, with, with, you know, that, that if you look at that type of decay, um, every frame is different, right? So it's, if you were to go in and... Um, do some sort of, you know, after effects or something, it would just be a tremendous amount of work. You right. know, it's like, um, that it's nothing that an app could really, um, do, you know, yeah. um, that said, if someone wants to make a Bill Morrison filter and, and pay me, you know, um, <laughs> I won't use it, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll collect the royalties. You know? Um, so I know you have to move on to your next thing, but I wanted to ref, I just wanted to recommend kind of a B side of your own, which I feel like we talked about this when we did our, we did an interview for Dawson city frozen time a couple a few years ago. Um, your film, the mesmerists, which I feel like we talked about briefly. That's one I just absolutely love. So if oh, you're cool. listeners, if you're going, down the bill morrison rabbit hole and watching all of his work that's one i would just highlight because i think that's kind of a lovely uh amazing one they're all great but obviously that's one and of course dawson city frozen time is the is the is the standout and you probably know that if you're listening but i i just wanted to uh to mention that and then also we should mention um this is part of let me come in as part of the turner classic movies film festival which as you are listening if you're listening as this releases is going on right now um Bill's got his film there and there's a lot of great stuff on there. I've been kind of catching up with it as we've been preparing for this and, and other elements. So that's super exciting. Um, but Bill, thank you so much uh, for talking well, thank with you us. Guys. No worries. No worries. No worries. Um, everybody look out for the, for let me come in and all of Bill's work, check out Turner classic uh, movies film festival currently. And thank you very much. And there you have it. Um, We're uh, super grateful to Bill for taking the time and again, reminder, if you do want to watch uh, Let Me Come In, you can uh, watch it on TCM uh, as of this recording tomorrow, May 7th. Um, and if you happen to miss it, you can actually catch it also on the TCM Hub 
uh, on HBO Max. Um, so you can catch it there as well as on TCM if you have either of those. Uh, we encourage you to do so if you do. It's a really, really great uh, little short. That said, if you like generally what you've heard here, uh, you can please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. It helps us out a great deal. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or concerns, you can send them to bside at thefilmstage.com. And of course, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. Uh, we have some fun stuff uh, coming up. We have, uh, as we may have mentioned, we have a really great episode. Uh, our next episode will be on Alan J. Pakula uh, with Blake Howard from One Heat Minute Productions. Uh, you, you might know him from One Heat Minute or The Zodiac Chronicle uh, or all of the other great uh, podcasts that he creates in his little Aussie podcast empire. In any case, look out for that. And uh, thank you again for listening.